1985. A short circuit caused weird science on a real genius who took a European vacation with a summer rental. There's a hotel. Hey, look, kids. There's Big Ben and there's Parliament. Without a clue, the Goonies searched for the man with one red shoe. I just saw the most amazing thing in my entire life. First, you gotta do the truffle shuffle. Come on! On a private resort just out of Africa, where Barbarian Queen spoke of a vision quest while screaming, girls just want to have fun. Everything all right? Yeah, I'm fine, Mom. I'm just, I'm tired, that's all. Sleep tight. And we danced with the Hooters. While the talking heads had an aha moment on Sentimental Street. So you're walking out on Sentimental Street. What you doing out there? Who you trying? As the old man down the road told us, don't come around here no more. Hey. Then a Mr. Mister with a raspberry beret. Went head over heels in a small town on a lonely old night. Taking money for nothing. We were loving every minute of it. It was a brat pack attack at St. Elmo's Fire as the Breakfast Club helped a witness named Fletch, who was desperately seeking Susan, who had a view to a kill of a commando reanimator on the Day of the Dead, all while a cat's eye. After Hours took an adventure with Pee Wee for Freddy's revenge. Windows 1. Ronald Reagan. New Coke. Live Aid. Gorbachev. Nintendo. Michael Jordan. The Unabomber. Malls. Arcades. And We Are the World. No cell phones, no internet. So many songs and so many movies. But it was July 3rd when Marty, Doc, and Einstein entered our lives. The year was 1985. And this is Back to the Future. That's fun, huh? Isn't that, that fun to one. do? Arto's fun. I got uh, real nostalgic on that for a second. I'm like, huh? Yeah, it's yeah. great. What a great year. And you should have seen some of the movies that were there. But... I will tell people that this is Marty McFly, a 17-year-old high school student, is accidentally sent 30 years into the past in a time-traveling DeLorean invented by his close friend, Doc, the eccentric scientist, Doc Brown, that is. So I wanted to run something by you real quick before we go into how much we love this, because obviously we only do movies we love. It, it makes no sense for me to do cinephiles flashback and talk about movies I don't like. That's easy talking about the good ones. So I wanted to run by you. I ran across this. Seven taglines for this movie. And I think six of them are fucking horrible. And it goes to show you the difference in writing and stuff. But tell me what you think. And I'll pause in between each one. The first one is, he's the only kid ever to get into trouble before he was born. I think that's the best one out of the next six. Okay. 
He was never in time for his classes. Then one day he wasn't in his time at all. See, that one's my favorite. Yeah, it's okay. 17-year-old Marty McFly got home early last night, 30 years early. To me, that's dumb. <laughs> dumb. He was never in time for his classes. He wasn't in time for his dinner. Then one day, he wasn't in his time at all. That's a little too wordy. Something about the dinner. Yeah, that's why I like the other one a little bit more. Yeah, it's more the brevity of it. Marty McFly's having the time of his life. The only question is, what time is it? That's not horrible. That's not no, horrible. No. Um, meet Marty McFly. He's broken the time barrier, busted his parents' first date, and maybe botched his chance of ever being born. Boring. It's, it is boring, but could you imagine that one in 1985? Like, that's such an odd concept that it just blows people's mind. And the last one is Marty McFly just broke the time barrier. He's only got one week to get it fixed. That's, it just goes yeah. nowhere. It goes nowhere. But speaking yeah. like you said, do you know Disney was the only company to turn this script down due to that, due to the fact that a mother and a son would yeah. be dating and stuff? All the other studios turned it down because it wasn't raunchy enough. Because they were competing with Fast Times at Ridgemont High and movies yeah. like that. Um, this, Yeah, Porky's Revenge, all that shit. This one was a good one because it was actually a script that was turned down like 45 times. Um, and heck, Disney said they would absolutely make it if they dropped that aspect. But Bob Gale and Rob Zemeckis didn't want to do it. Um, yeah, they definitely they, didn't. This was actually owned by Fox early on. 20th Century Fox, and it was traded to Universal. Like they did, a, they did a screenplay deal where uh, I forget what movie Fox wanted, but they were like, "All right, we'll give you these two scripts for that script," and one of them was Back to the Future. Yeah, and I get the I get the feeling that Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis they really held their own on this because I know if I got turned down 44 times, I'd be in rewrites 45 times, and that's what you can't do. You got to, you know keep it going and stuff, but there were interesting parts that they threw in there, such as Biff Tannen. Biff Tannen is named in homage to Ned Tannen, who was the one-time head of Universal Studios, and he at one time threw Gail and Robert Zemeckis' script for I Want to Hold Your Hand on the floor in a heated meeting, accusing it of being anti-Semitic, despite the fact that Bob Gail is Jewish. I did not know that. I'm glad to know that, though. Yeah, so that, they named Biff Tannen after him because he's a dick. That's that's freaking crazy. Uh, yeah, I, and that's the thing. Like, I, I love all the works that Mechis and Bob Gale did together. Used Cars is, is another favorite of mine. Yeah, uh, I like that, too. That was good, actually. I didn't know that was his. Yeah, and, and it's funny because the stars of I Just Want to Hold Your Hand are in Used Cars as some of the student drivers. And uh, the sister in Back to the Future was one of the stars of I Just Want to Hold Your Hand. Yeah, and that there's a lot of tie-ins of this movie from movie things. Like, one of them is the set. The set for Kingston Falls is in the Gremlins is the same one used for this movie. Yeah. And both movies were filmed at Universal Studios' backlot. And additionally, Francis Lee McCain, who played Lorraine's mother, Stella Baines, also played Billy's mother, Lynn Peltzer, in The Gremlins. Oh, yeah. it's There's so much 
the, these character players were always getting called up and universal was good for that, especially. And it's funny because um, if you've ever been to the set, uh, it, it's an awesome back lot. It's very cool. And the growing pains house is across the street. <laughs> so it's, it's like, you see a lot of very cool things uh, there and how they did it. And you can actually see it in like different universal movies that pop out like monster squad it was filmed on there. And it's just so weird how they changed it up. But in my, the most iconic look, of course, is back to the future in my opinion. Yeah. And with the, the star power that was in this, it wasn't necessarily star power until later, such as Billy Zane. This is Billy Zane's first movie ever. Yeah. And he's yeah. the only one. He Billy Zane's the only one of Biff's cronies that doesn't have a line in the first one. Yeah, I believe, if I remember correctly, he didn't get a line in a movie until... Like, this helped him, I believe, get a SAG card. But I believe he didn't have a line in a movie until Critters. That was like yeah. a year or two later. And it's interesting how they did it because people get a lot of things confused with this movies. But when Lorraine follows Marty back to Doc's house in the film, she and Doc exchange an awkward greeting. Mm -hmm. And that is the only on-screen dialogue Christopher Lloyd and Leah Thompson ever have, though they appeared together in six movies. What are the other movies? I don't know. But six movies, it says they've been in together. Christopher oh, my Lloyd. God. I mean, we know the three are Back to the Future, but I, I'm trying to now. Now that's going to bug me. Thanks. <laughs> right. I mean, it, yeah, we're going to have to look that up and we could listen. This is we're editing the fuck out of this so we could do whatever we want. But the Eric Stoltz stuff is interesting oh, yeah. when you go into I don't know if you ever watched a YouTube like they, there's a few YouTube clips if anyone wants to see them of Eric Stoltz being Marty McFly. And I guess Eric Stoltz was kind of a dick also. Not a very liked man in this movie. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I What I had heard was he, he just wasn't right. Like the character, like they always envisions Michael J. Fox. Well, I did some background um, looking into the Eric Stoltz part of it. And a lot of it had to do with, first of all, he's one of those actors that demanded you call him Marty at all times, even okay. while filming and not. So when the guy that played, what's his name, played Biff Tannen. What's his name now? I can't think of his name. Uh, Thomas F. Wilson. Yeah. When, when they called him, they said, we need to meet with you. We have some bad news. He thought he had been fired. Okay. And he actually got upset because this was a big deal to him. But when he got there, Zemeckis told him that they fired Eric Stoltz. And he said, who? He said, Eric Stoltz. He goes, who's Eric Stoltz? Because he only wanted to be called Marty. He never knew him as Eric Stoltz. He didn't know who the hell Eric Stoltz was. Oh, and him and they had issues because in the scene where uh, in the diner, when they're fighting and stuff, Eric Stoltz took it too far and was too violent and almost separated his shoulder at one point. And he told him to calm down and he wouldn't. He was too aggressive in the film. Mm. But that's also the only scene. That, there's two scenes with Eric Stoltz in the actual movie still. Yeah, and that's his punch, right? That's one of them they didn't reshoot. The second is when Marty's trying to run from the Libyans. That's Eric Stoltz driving the car. Oh, that's funny not um, Michael J. Fox because of costs and stuff. 
Plus, they were like three or four or five weeks behind at that point. Yeah, I'm, but I mean, listen, we see what we see the final result. Can you imagine anybody else from Michael J. Fox in that role? No, I I really can't. And you know, he's another guy that lives in my state, and they live up way up in farm country of Connecticut. You know, I don't even know the name of the town. I've been there a few times and seen his palatial mansion just sitting up there. But he seems like a pretty nice guy, Michael J. Fox. You know, yeah. I mean, I would love to meet him. He's the only, he and Christopher Lloyd are the only ones I haven't met that, that were in this movies. It was interesting that um, you know, the J is fake, but there was already an actor named Michael Fox, mm-hmm. and the guy that played Michael Fox was in this ties into the movie too he was an actor one of the main actors in what was that theater he used when he's darth vader when he was when crispin glover said he was up late watching oh uh, um mystery science uh theater yeah um, yeah some something mystery like science that. Something. there's some show that uh, michael j fox's father adored and they squeezed it into this movie somehow. But the guy that actually played the role was Michael Fox, was one of the lead actors of that show, one of his father's favorites. So that's where the name came from and stuff. That's what it is. I'm thinking Mystery Science Theater 3000, but it's a science fiction theater. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. That's pretty funny. But there are some, you know, there's a lot of things. um, There's so much about this movie that I love, and it just, it, it really played a, a, a pretty big role in my sister and mine's childhood because she's 15 years younger than me. So when I was babysitting her, for instance, this is what we would watch. And she used to freak out and we, you know, she's older now, but she's like in her thirties. She still laughs about, cause one scene particularly, she would make me rewind it. Yes. We had to rewind it <laughs> on the VCR. And it was when doc takes the car the miniature car and he's makes it run through the fake city and it catches on fire. And he makes, he makes that face. He goes, huh? You know, and that would just make her laugh as a child for some reason. It was the best. It had, this is a movie that, I mean, still goes down as it's my favorite movie of all time. I I mean, I I just, I adore this thing. Um, And it has every aspect that you want in a movie, I, th- I think for me, these movies, these three movies are this are important and um, just as entertaining as like the Star Wars movies. And that's why they hold up so well. It's because of the adventure aspect to them. Yeah, they definitely do. And I, Christopher Lloyd said he always wanted to do one where they go back to Roman, Roman times. That's the oh, one no. thing he regrets. He wishes they did one where they went back to Roman times. At some point, but it was never intended. There was no intention for this to be a sequel necessarily. They left that ending. They regret the ending that they made where they put Jennifer in the car with him because in part two, that's why they had to knock her out so soon in the film to make her go unconscious. If they never put her in the car, they wouldn't have had to do that. You know, it kind of tied their hands. I, but you know what? I actually kind of like how it added her to it, and especially when you add Elizabeth Shue coming into the role. I love Claudia Wells. Don't get me wrong; I thought she was great. But 
uh, Elizabeth Shue jumping in, like you have a name like her in your sequel, you, you got to add a bit with her, you know, you right. got to have her do some stuff. And you do. And there's some, inter- the one thing, the, there's a few things like the more tie-ins that just are amazing when you read about them. But when Marty pretends to be Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan, he plays a tape labeled Edward Van Halen to scare George out of his sleep. It's an untitled Edward Van Halen original song that was written for the movie The Wildlife in 1984, which featured Leah Thompson and starred Eric Stoltz. That's crazy. It's such a weird... Just a weird tie Fun little tie-ins when when it comes to this. And uh, just to learn more and more about, like, you know, I'm always trying to learn as much as I can about these movies because they're just, again, there's, there's so much of that. It just it's seems genius. Like- if if they even put this much, I don't know how much of this is luck versus how much of it is, you know, the attention to detail versus how much of it is good writing and just getting lucky because, you know, when Marty's playing Johnny B. Good and Marvin calls his cousin Chuck Berry or, you know, his cousin Chuck on the phone to tell him about the new sound he is looking for. This all takes place on November 12th, 1955. But on that date in actuality, Marvin Chuck Berry was named most promising new R&B artist by Billboard magazine on that exact date. That's amazing. That has to be luck. I I, I can't even imagine that being. Yeah, because it's not a it's only a critical part of the movie now. That was just a throw in at the time. You know, it's funny. I got married in 2015 and, you know, we, you know, we, I had asked her to marry me and I was like, but it's the year of back to the future. So I was like, we got to do something. I was like, can we get married on this date or this date? <laughs> just throwing it out there. Um, but we could, we couldn't get our venue for any of the dates. So I had to settle on November 13th. I really wanted a date from the first movie because that's my favorite one. But November 13th is the one where he goes back to doc. Right at the end and uh yeah i was like all right well i mean it's still it's still connected in some way back to the future so like you said about luck and stuff there's certain things that i call them attention to detail and it fucking turns me to fuck on when there's attention to detail and one of them is leah thompson's character lorraine is demonstrated very often to having alcohol problems in the movie in varying degrees throughout the whole trilogy of it You know, there's drinking, but her name first appears in the film right at the same time as the drinking man clock in Doc's lab is shown. Get out of here, really? Yeah. Just as the drinking man clock is shown, Leah Thompson's name appears. It's it's so crazy. I I would love to pick their brains and say, like, is that did this have something to do with it? Like it had to some of it like Doc's phone number. You familiar with the phone number stuff in this? So Doc, Doc's phone number in 1955 is Klondike 54385, okay? Mm-hmm. The letter K and L are both on the digit five. Thus, the number still begins with 555, like the old movies had to. Okay, so it's 555-4385. It's a fictional number. We all know that now in movie making back in the 80s. But it's also the same phone number that Jennifer writes on the back of the flyer for Marty in 1995. No, it's not. No, it's not. No? 
I know that number by, and here's, here's a funny story for you. I met Claudia Wells years ago. I actually have it behind me framed. It's um, she was selling the, the flyer and yeah. she was signed the flyer for you. And I got one. I was like, can you write what you write on the back of it? And she could not remember the number. She goes, I remember writing. I love you. I said, it's, I love you. Exclamation point five, 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 four, eight, two, three. See, according to my stuff, it said it was four, three, eight, five, but if you say you, she, Claudia told you that, I buy it. And I love Claudia, too, because... Oh, no, I told Claudia that. Oh, she didn't it's, remember. It's 4823. Four, uh, that is the only phone number, I think, besides my own that I still remember. To this yeah, that's good. Well, that's good. Well, that's why I do these shows. That's why I bring somebody else on. Not all <laughs> my facts are all... Of course, I get my facts off the internet. It's just deep dives oh, I yeah. do into this stuff. But there are some things that this is rare in a movie. I don't usually do no attention to detail, but there's a few of them where they didn't really pay attention as much as they should. Mm. And this is one of them. Despite Marty and Jennifer crediting Doc as the origin of the repeated line, if you put your mind to it, you could accomplish anything. When in fact, Doc never says it once in any of the Back to Future movies ever. No, it's, uh, it's George who says it to him. It, uh, Marty says Marty says it first to his yeah. father before the dance, and later an older George uses the line again. Well, the first time it's said uh, is Jennifer and Marty walking, and she, he just got turned down for the Battle of the Bands because they were just too damn loud. Right, it's her saying. Yeah, what she says, what is it your father's always trying to say? What is it your no, father's that, Doc, she says... Well, isn't Doc, he's the one that always tells you if you put your mind to it, you could accomplish anything. And that's the point. If Doc said it, why didn't he say it in the movie ever? <laughs> so that's one thing. And then Michael J. Fox is only 10 days younger than Leah Thompson, who plays his mother and is almost three years older than his on-screen father, Crispin Glover. Yeah, it's so crazy. It is crazy how they I do that. They played such great roles in this. Like everybody just... Yeah, and Crispin Glover was a very nervous act. This was very early in his career. I don't know. I'm guessing this is before. Yeah, this must be right before the River's Edge with um, Keanu Reeves and him when they kill his girlfriend. When he kills his girlfriend, do you remember yeah. that one, The River's Edge? Oh yeah, that was great. The movie. He was also good. in. He played the brother in At Close Range too. So in 1955, another one of these. No attention to details. In 1955, Lorraine remarks that Marty is such a nice name, yet she names her first son David. Why wouldn't she name him Marty? That's a good question. I've and always also, they deep dive into this with the writers of why wouldn't his parents remember him in the future, in the, I don't know, I, now I'm confused, in the past, in the future. If Marty played such an integral role in them getting together, you know, from high school and stuff and Calvin Klein and all that stuff, they knew his name was Marty. They loved his name. She had it in him. But yet they don't know who he is when he goes back to the future, when they're famous now. He's a famous father, is a famous writer. He doesn't recognize his son as the guy that, or even say, like, he looks an awful lot like Marty McFly. That, that was the funny thing, because, uh, yeah, like, I, I've often heard that um, talked about. And, um, you know, like, how is George not going to say, like, because a lot of people said you can get over it by saying, well, 
there's no pictures of Marty anywhere, so they could kind of forget what he looks like. You exactly. Know? Um, but yeah, like why wouldn't George start questioning on the third child? Like, why does he not look like me at all? Well, Robert Zemeckis explained it perfectly as you got to remember, they only knew Marty for seven days, mm -hmm. technically in the past. They only knew him seven days. They didn't see him every single day, every single minute. And if you went 40 years into your past and I mentioned it, would you really remember the person that hooked you up with your wife 40 years ago that you barely knew? You'd you'd be lost. You'd be like, was this, was it Bobby or Mike? What was that guy's name? Because you have no picture references or anything of this guy. He just disappears from your life. I mean, I graduated high school 21 years ago this year. And I and there are people who add me on Facebook that I'm like, who are these people? And I have to go and ask other people I went to high school with. Did we really go to high school with them? Yeah. It's, <laughs> but there's so many. Before we talk a little deeper into it, but when Marty tells Doc, that Ronald Reagan is president in 1985. Doc scoffs by asking if Jane Wyman is the first lady. Wayman, Wyman, sorry, Wyman is the first lady. But in actuality, Wyman had actually been married to Reagan only from 40 to 48. Reagan was already married to Nancy Reagan in 1955. Oh, yeah. It was already Nancy, and it made no sense. But I think the name Jane Wyman was bigger than Nancy Reagan you know, at the time for 55 and he was married to her. But, you know, the whole thing, the, the filming of it, I love the, I love the continue it, continuity. How, how do you say that word? Continuity. Continu yeah. Continuity, continuity of filming the second and the third one at the same time, you know, there was no break in it and it probably gave them a lot of, they knew they were making a third when they were making the second. Mm -hmm. Do you know the only thing that is shown in all three? When, uh, in terms of what? What do you mean? Scenery. DeLorean, technically you can. In scenery. Uh, let me think on that for a sec. Um, was it Marty's house? No, the clock tower. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. The clock tower. And the only reason I know is the guy that did the stunt actually got paid for all three movies, but he only didn't have to perform in two of them because they're all flashbacks. Oh, he, really? He still got paid for all three movies because that's, that's the rules of Hollywood. Yeah. If you appear in the movie, you are paid. Yeah, that's legit. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, you know, the whole thing... There's just so much of it with, um, I don't know, there were, there were certain parts of it where you can get lost and you, there is a creep factor to this film, but they never, I, if Eric Stoltz was still in it, I think it becomes a creepy movie because yeah. he's not a funny guy. I think Marty pulled it off and kept it because he knew the whole time and he let you know that he knew that was his mother, you know, in the right. past. He didn't hide that fact from the audience. So you were never in the dark going, wait, is he going to kiss her? Is he going to, because he always was grossed out by it. Yeah. You know, and the simple things that a lot of people already know are like Twin Pines Diner becoming Lone Pine Diner, Lone Pine Mall, Twin Pines Mall at the end becomes Lone Pine Mall. I love that. I love those little things that they, that you knew that was a part of the writing 
that they did. Um, the, the little things that they, they just put together, you know, the comic book and how they matched it up with the comp, you know, everything up with the comic book and, and just, it, it's truly fantastic. It, actually in the second and third one, and um, you see Doc wearing a shirt. Um, it, it shows up in the second one, but in the third one, it's predominantly wearing it. It's a shirt with cowboys on it and trains. Oh yeah, it's like yeah. Futuristic trains, and then when he ends up back in the past, you see that he's using it as the bandana when they rob the train. That's excellent. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And once again, is this luck or thought out? You know, and whose job is it to think it out? Because it's not the writer's job always to do that part, you know. No. I've been watching a lot of, I don't know if you are familiar, I got that masterclass.com stuff. Mm -hmm. They're addicting, completely addicting. It's nothing but famous people sitting down with you for six hours and telling you how they do what they do. Yeah. It's amazing. So I'm watching Shonda Rhimes, the TV writer right now. Mm -hmm. She does a six and a half hour course on writing ER, basically. Or is it Grey's Anatomy? What's she do? Grey's Anatomy, Grey's I think it's hers. Grey's Anatomy. And she does a six hour thing telling you how she goes about it. And one of her things is you have to recognize as the writer your strengths versus somebody else's strengths. Mm -hmm. So I don't come up with the titles of the stories because I don't care what they're called. Mm -hmm. I'm all about the story. And I'm guilty of that. I focus on titles a lot, titles, when maybe you could just hand that to someone and concentrate on the character, on the writing, you know, and yeah. interesting woman, very smart in her writing habits. All of them are. I got, I've watched Dan Brown and listen, we always veer off course on these cinematic things <laughs> and talk about That's other fine. shit. And you're just not as good looking as Jennifer, but you know what? Fuck, fuck Jennifer. No, she's the best. Leave her alone. Ghost in me. No, she... Jennifer's been busy for the last few weeks, but she, um, you know, going into Dan Brown and all these other writers and stuff, how they write their writing habits from my standpoint as an author, I realize how much I'm fucking up and wasting time sometimes compared to these guys that are pumping out real books. Not that mine aren't real, but I could be so much more than I am if I just settled on podcasting, writing, fatherhood, sex life, you know, all those things to <laughs> figure out which one I'm going to be good at instead of okay at all of them, except sex. I'm really good at sex, Mick, if you needed to know that. Well, I believe it. That, that's yeah. the one, that's the one out of all of them. I believe the most. Good, good. <laughs> so what else do you have to say about this film from a whole, you know, what has it done for your life? Oh, I mean, I, this is a movie. I just watched it before I came on to record. I, I, I can watch. I've seen this movie in my life. It has to be triple digits. Like, I, I just, anytime it's on TV, I'll stop and watch. Do you have a favorite part? You know what? It, it, um, yes, I do. Uh, so my favorite part is the end sequence. From the time, Marty, you know, I love... Uh, when Marty starts playing Johnny Be Good, that's a great sequence. And then going right into all of the action of trying to get him home. And I've seen this movie, I don't know, God knows how many times I can count it. But every time I watch it, I still get the thrill of, is he going to make it? Yep. And even and though you know he is, 
you know. Yeah. I don't know why I still get that thrill. For, and there's no other movie that gives me that thrill. I do know why you get the thrill, though. And this is something Dan Brown talked about. What was the movie Dan Brown wrote the book for with um, Tom uh, was Hanks? It, um, da Vinci Code. And- yeah, Da Vinci Code. Do you know that not one Dan Brown, every single Dan Brown book takes place in 24 hours? Okay. Right. Every single one, because he likes to, just like Bond does, very excellent. He puts a ticking clock on everything. And that's what you get with, you know, he's got to reach 80, what is it? 85 miles, 88 miles per 88 hour. 88 miles per hour. You know, he has to do it by this certain time. You know where he's going to end up. It's, there's enough mystery wrapped in. You already know that what it takes to get there. He doesn't, you know, and he, well, he does. He knows the 88 and stuff. He just doesn't know if he could do it. And you get wrapped up in that. It's writing. It's the writing and the ticking clock. The music helps. You know, the Huey Lewis, we didn't even talk about the Huey Lewis part of this. Oh, yeah. Because the first, when they asked him to write a song, they came, he came back with the power of love. And they didn't like it. They said, well, it's okay, but not for, maybe we'll use it somewhere. Is there another one you could write? And that's when he wrote Back in Time. Yeah, he went in, but he also wrote another song that ended up in another film. I I wish I wrote it down, but it ended up in another film. And also, that's not Marty saying that's not Michael J. Fox singing either. That's a that's an actual singer uh, named Matt. Now I can't think of his last name. Uh, Actually, I just pulled it up. It's uh, the third track was called In the Nick of Time. Right. In the Nick of Time. And what ended up being in Brewster's Millions. Correct. Brewster's Millions, which was the same year. And I didn't squeeze that into the opening, but Brewster Millions came out the same year as as this. So one thing a lot of people were happy about was because this movie, you you had mentioned the date. What is the date? November. Well, it starts on November, what, 15th? No, he goes back November 5th, 1955 to 1955 and then he it's november 12th when he goes back to 1985 well what they found was cool was the movie was released july 3rd which meant everybody in the movie theater was watching the future yeah and how crazy is it that besides the third one everything you watch was like the future yeah like you know going stepping in from the first movie i mean like all that stuff, like, yeah, they watched it from July 3rd, but it took place in October and November. And Ronald Reagan also, I remember reading this, actually mentioned Back to the Future in his inaugural address. I, I remember hearing about that. I, I don't never listened to his address, but yeah. He actually, in the inaugural address, he said, where we're going, we don't need roads. Oh, jeez. He said that. But this is the last thing I'm going to add before we wrap this up. This is further proof that executives are fucking bozos, okay? And this is genius how it worked out. I don't know if this was on purpose, but a guy, Universal Pictures head, Sid Sheinberg, did not like the title Back to the Future, insisting that nobody would see a movie with the word future in the title. In a memo to Robert Zemeckis, he said that the title should be changed to Spaceman from Pluto, tying in with Marty as an alien joke in the film. And also suggesting further changes like replacing the 
I'm Darth Vader from planet Vulcan line with I am a spaceman from Pluto. So Scheinberg was persuaded to change his mind because when this was when this memo was sent to Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg responded with, thank you for sending such a wonderful joke memo to me. That's awesome. And Scheinberg was too proud to admit he was serious and pretended it was all a joke and let the film retain its title. Now, that, you, you think that, Spielberg knew? Oh, yeah. Spielberg knows how to handle that stuff, man. Isn't that genius? But the guy, when I read further about um, Sid Scheinberg, by the way, people should look up. He actually created about, first of all, Mark, the dog, Einstein, had a different name originally. Um, Marty's mother was named different. And he came up with, he's the one responsible for the name changes, making it Einstein because Einstein died in 1955. So it made sense why he would name his dog Einstein. Hmm. That's, that's when he died and stuff. So there's so many things we could talk about, but we were focusing on the first one. We delved into the second. Do you have a favorite among, do you, put them in order or do you like one, two, three? And do you like them all equally or? Uh, first one is by far my favorite. Um, the second, third, I will watch right along with it. To me, it's like they're all one big movie. I agree. I agree. Um, the third one took me a little while. It seemed a little forced. And I think that might be because they filmed them at the same time. They didn't sit back and let it sink in. They just filmed them back to back. And that had a lot to do with Michael J. Fox not being available because he was only doing this at night. He had to do his family ties contract. Yeah. And luckily he was only, he was 23 playing a 17 year old. So, I mean, it, it's, it's cool. And I'm glad that um, the girl that played her, what's her name? Claudia. Claudia Wells. Yeah. I think it's very adamant of her to step away to take care of her ailing mother. Yeah. Which is uh, a very difficult, I mean, today, I mean, I don't know what it would have made her this film. And I don't know, you know, I just don't know the depth of it, but I also know the depth that she's got to be proud of herself that she did this to take care of her sick mother who took care of her up until that point in her life. So not an yeah, easy thing. I, I think that's always a good tidbit for everybody to know too, is like, she wasn't, she didn't get kicked out and like, so we're getting Elizabeth shoe. They wanted her back, but you know, she, she did the right thing. She stepped up for family. And like, that was a, that was a huge deal. When did you notice in the films, the difference? Did you ever, did of it her? Kind of, yeah. Did it blend together for you? Cause it blended well for me. When I was younger. Yeah. I think I, I think I was a teenager when I finally kind of realized like, Oh, it's not the same actress. Um, yeah, but I used to watch this as a kid all the time. Like we had the tape and um, but we didn't have the second one. Like we had to rent it, the second and third one as it came out. Um, so we would have to rent it until we actually got them. Uh so it wasn't like I would watch first one, then the second one, and third one. So yeah, it took a while for me to put the connection together that it wasn't the same Jennifer. Well, I it's sad to say, but that's gonna be it for the Cinephiles flashback. Where our tagline is, it's okay for a movie to touch you when you're young. And I want to thank Mick Manhattan for joining me, filling in for the beautiful Jennifer Field, who will be returning soon, I hope. 
And I hope you enjoyed it at least and had some fun. I love the opening. And I think we're going to, we're going to share with people. We had talked about this prior. We're going to share with people what it takes to create that beginning from the raw footage all the way through. And I'll, I'll do something. I'll tie something together. I think we'll have enough time where I could do it, but. Let's see how it works. So make sure everybody's following McManhattan's Scene Snobs Network now. Network, correct? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the network now. The Scene Snobs Network. You can find it on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, everywhere. You can find Mick and just ask him, where do I fucking find you? You could find me. I'm on Mick's network twice. I'm on, on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern live with ending the stigma and i am also on fridays at seven right seven p.m eastern time with within the head of fred which is now right now because this is going to be a within the head of fred episode with yeah. Manhattan, with big dick mick and if you go back in my if you go back into my catalog you could see big dick mick for an hour talk about how big dick's mick's dick is try to say that I'm going to make a children's rhyme. Oh, God. About well, You should go back and listen to it. Yeah, go back and listen to it. And just to keep Jeff Dwoskin on his toes, um, Manscaped. Manscaped for men. Make sure your balls are clean. Make sure your balls are nice and shiny. And that's oh, God. direct quote from the man, from <laughs> Podcaster of the Year. And that's going to be it. Oh, don't forget, we got a magazine, too. That's a new thing. We could talk about that real quick. Apostrophe's magazine comes out in June. I'll put a link in the show notes somewhere. We'll add them into the video notes and you could find them there. But it's a free magazine for podcasters, listeners, readers, and writers. So it's geared towards podcasting and it's geared towards indie authors. And it has a lot of the guys you see on Mix Network writing articles, how to and all that. It should be interesting. We'll see how it turns out, though. It may be a fucking dumpster fire. I don't know. Like a lot of things I do, but you got anything? Maybe a catastrophe, but you'll still love it. Go for it. I did um, realize that. Thank God I put an S at the end of apostrophe because there's already apostrophe magazine. Oh, nice. Mine okay. is apostrophes. So I don't want to get sued because then they, they might take my kids because it's the only thing I actually own. You know, so they, they're not going to get much. But you got anything to add before we say goodbye? No, just keep checking out Ending the Stigma within that of Fred. I fully endorse them. Fully endorsed. Okay. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you, Mick. And we're out. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>